Thank you, Tyler and Kayla. You know, one thing's fun about Tyler, like when I met him, he was a rugby guy, you know? And then he just plays with these four-year-olds. He's a big guy, and then yet he loves these little kids. I think that's, that's so cool. Today's reading's going to be from Romans 16, if you want to turn there this morning. As you turn there, I'll invite you to stand um, as we read together. I'll be reading from Romans 16, verses 1 through 16. And Paul writes, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church, which is in Centria, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of for you or from you. For she herself has also been a helper of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ, who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. So also greet the church that is in their home. Greet Epientus, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, who are outstanding among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stachis, my beloved. Greet Apelles, the approved in Christ. Greet those of the household of our Aristobulus, and greet Herodion, my kinsman. Greet those of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphenia and Tryphosa, workers in the Lord. Greet Persis, the beloved, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. Greet Asyncritus, Philagon, Hermes, Petrobos, Hermos, and the brethren with them. Greet Philologus, and Julia, and Nereus, and his sister, and Olympias, and all the saints who are with him. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord, I know that your word is precious. But I must admit, at times when I read the scriptures, I, I hunger for things that, that uh, speak to me in the knowledge of the Lord, doctrines of the faith, the convictions that we hold dear. What a good reminder that you have set before us here in Paul's concluding words in the letter of Romans, that for God so loved the world, he sent his only Son for people. And Lord, we have been a church for about eight years. 
And we ourselves could find ourselves tempted to trust in things that are not worth trusting in. Or, or maybe even pursue things that are not of your heart. In some ways, we are so grateful for even this space. A wall, a ceiling, lighting, a stage, chairs. But Lord, these are merely accessories. For you do not come for those things, you came for people. And so I'm tempted, like I think many of us would be, is to just skate over this. But Lord, I pray that you would use this passage, even these words, to edify us, to bring us to the reminder for why you even came and what you have called us to participate in together. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if, it's, if you do the same. I do this in Genesis. Do this in Matthew. And you could do it easily here. You will find no longer lengthy section of literature written by Paul which lays before you such a lengthy list of people. 29. And what I have to do is I have to stop myself and remind myself of this one thing. As Paul taught, taught Timothy, he wrote in 2 Timothy 3.16, he wrote these words. All scripture is inspired by God. Profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. There's a temptation, I think, in all of us. To forget why our Lord Jesus Christ even came. He came for people. And when you come to this section in Romans, you're reminded once again why Paul even wrote Romans. Paul wrote in the very beginnings in Romans chapter 1, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone. And we love that idea. But what is it when we get to the end, when we see the list of names, We want to just skip over the power of God put on display for us to realize. It's cool. What's really cool about this list, and what I just want to do this morning, is stir that idea in our mind. It's about people. We've been a church for eight years, and we recognize that God has done a lot in the last eight years, in the last two years. I mean, we weren't even in this space when we started Romans. Remember? That pole was a wall, and we met over there. You go back even further, our kids were crammed in a smaller space that they're crammed in now. I have 70 kids now over there. We need more teachers. Right, Tyler? Yeah, yes. It's about people, and I think it's tempting at times as you, as you go on in life and ministry to forget about the things that we've been blessed with, that we might trust in those things rather than what God is doing through His people together. All I want to do as I stir these mind, things in our mind is I just want to remind ourselves what this is all about. Like, this is about your kids. This is about your spouses. This is about your neighbors. This is about your coworkers. This is about people in this city coming to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and the salvation that He provides and the hope He gives us. 
And Paul writes all these things from chapter 1 to chapter 15, verse 13. And as he is now transitioning to close the letter up, he lets us see the power of God put on display for us to cherish. I said this already, but 26 people are listed here. 24 of them are named. Two different households are mentioned. And by the way, the households which he mentions are significant. One of the households... Aristobulus, be gracious to me. I asked Greg, who should we have do the reading this week? For, for I love you, I did not select any of you. I chose to bear it myself. 24 of them were named. Two of the household, potentially the, the household of Aristobulus. He was the grandson of Herod the Great. Significant, significant family. Narcissus as well, popular. But as you read the list, it is composed of people that are both Jewish and Gentile. God has saved not just the Jew, whom he has historically selected and raised up to be the one who funnels his Messiah through, but he also has been reaching the Gentile. Within that social group, you see people that are established financially, the household of Narcissus, or the household of Aristobulus, they have resources. But then you have the common slave being mentioned in this group. Chapter 16, verse 9, you got Urbanus. And we have several other common slave names who are ranked of the same rank as the one who has the resources. What's great about this list of individuals Throughout this letter is the diversity which the church has in Christ. The power of God not not just reached the weak, but the strong, the poor, the rich, the slave, the free, the ruler, women. Nine women are listed throughout this letter. I think it would be good to even just consider this. The point of all this, it's about people. Uh, I was talking with Beth this last week. It was about 2007. And I, I had this, ch- I don't know what it is about Spokane or what, maybe it was my just culture that I was raised in, but I had grown up with this realization or this concern that if you go to seminary, you're going to come back so loving your theology that you're not going to want to spend time with people. So when I met Beth... I told her, quite frank, in my undergrad and biblical studies, I'm not going to seminary. Because when people go to seminary, they become disconnected from reality. People. 2007, something happened. And I realized I was pretty young. Didn't know what I was doing. And God started calling me to seminary. (laughs) And I knew it. And it was an awkward season for me because... How do you tell your wife what you've said you wouldn't do, what God is, you think God is calling you to do? Your family. But there was this idea in my mind that, and it's not just students who go to seminary that are challenged with this. That there is this idea that someone could love their theology so much, they, they think it more precious than their love for people. And it's not just the, the, the one who goes to seminary that does this. It's even us. It's possible. 
We have studied for 17 months the letter of Romans been raised up in our confidence and convictions in the gospel and forget its intention. It's about people. And this is why I think I'm so grateful why this long list is set before us. The gospel with all its theological convictions is aimed at this relationship. One, we've learned this already, point one. It's aimed at our understanding our relationship with God. I have to preface this to remind us this before we go to where I'll spend the majority of our time in second point. But the gospel within all of its convictions is relational in that it reveals our relationship with God. Let me remind you all of this over again. You should be very familiar with this. That all humanity has come un- into this world under sin. So whether you're a Jew, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, whether you're Gentile. Paul writes in Romans 3, 10 and 11, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. This is a theological reality which reveals our relationship with God. Right? So theology is important, but it aims us to understand our relationship, one, with God. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not just the slave, but the rulers, those of high social status, all have sinned. Paul taught in Romans 2, 2, we know the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. And in light of this theological conviction, we understand our relationship with God. We understand also His character in response to this rebellion all humanity has towards Him. And that's why we sing with such joy this morning in Romans 5. He says, and He teaches in verse 6, for while we were still helpless. We, our theology teaches us our relationship was broken with God, but the theology also teaches that's not the end. There is good news. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And we know, for one would hardly die for a righteous man. Though perhaps for a good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrated his own love. This is theology. It's our conviction which shapes our relationship with God. and Our perception of his character. God demonstrated his own love towards us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is why Paul starts with the gospel, right? In the letter of Romans, with this truth, I am not ashamed of the gospel, Romans 1.16, right? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. And it's not just Paul that reminds us that this gospel, theological conviction, leads us to understand our relationship with one another. John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world. This is theology, right? So like, go to seminary. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Theology has a conviction and that conviction shows our relationship with God. Right? So good theology that props that proper relationship in a proper category should shape our way how we perceive God. And Paul finally here in his concluding words with one another. Right? 
The gospel is the foundation for why we understand our relationship. That's the point two. And this is where I'd like to sit. I think you understand the first point, right? But it drives the foundation for why we even have a gathering this morning. And why we sing together. Yes, there is 26 people listed here. But these 26 people here are not confused why they meet. They understand the foundation, what drives their unity. And look, with, look at this. Chapter 16, verse 1. You could underline it. It pops up repetitively uh, throughout this entire section. 16 verses, I counted at least 10 appearances. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church, which is in, at Centria, that you receive her in the Lord. In a manner worthy of the saints. Romans 16, verse 3. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. 16, verse 8. I I can't read all of them. I've already read it once and I don't want to stumble over my words again, right? Saying the names, but I'll pick the ones I can say. Verse 8. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved, in the Lord. Why is it we meet today? What's the common thing which binds us together this morning? Paul puts this in before us and reminds of these things. Or ought to be reminded. Verse 9, greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. Romans 16, verse 13, greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord. We acknowledge, like, we are a very diverse people. We come from a variety of different backgrounds. Some, some of us are established in life. We use the term seasoned. Um, we have some of us who are just young, starting off life. Don't know what God wants us to do, and so we're just trying to figure that out in this season. We have some that come from entirely different family backgrounds of our own. Like if we were to sit and say the list that was, we had a class, and a professor would ask, he had this, class smaller than this room, and he would say, every day this class, I want you, we'll go one student at a time, and I will ask you to say one thing that's specifically unique to you. I knew mine right away. I grew up on a blueberry farm. I bet you none of you could say that. But we all have a variety of backgrounds. But if we were to establish a community on only those who come from blueberry farms, but the world does this with some more significant issues of which they cherish. Money. They'll form their own groups about social status. Race. They'll create their own common groups based around race. They'll create that about their own communities in which they cherish, maybe whether it be football or what team you support. And those become the foundations for what prompts the means for their fellowship. The church is unique. And that it is diverse. And it's not just based on a woman or a man or an ethnic background. It is simply and solely based upon Jesus Christ. And this is why we pray our Father. While we all acknowledge that God has reached people. Us. With names. What a great thing to be reminded of. That as we continue to serve one another, 
that the one thing, like, I think why we do, like, the interviews is to acknowledge in some way they're here, I'm here because of Jesus Christ. Right? Like, how does that work? Two people who never meet talking about a Bible study to be in WSU and they see a Sasquatch. Like, where's the Bible study? And then God just preordaining the means by which we can know one another. God loves you. He's pursued you. He knows you. Paul knows and he can call people by name who've been changed by the power of Jesus Christ. That's cool. And that's why Paul's like so infatuated with the power of the gospel. It reaches people. Not just a community, but individuals. And he calls them by name. Um, can I just, can we just pull a few things out of this list? I can't go through every verse, but there are a few things that I think that are be helpful just to edify ourselves with this morning. One, I think verse one, chapter six, verse one. Paul, to entrust this letter to get to the churches in Rome through Phoebe. Look how he talks about her. In this whole list, you get ten women. I commend to you our sister. Throughout all of the book of Romans, you'll hear him say, brother, but here is an endearing term. Women. Relationally bound to one another as our sisters. Not just my sister, Phoebe. He reminds the church, while he has enjoyed serving with Phoebe, that she is your sister as well. I laugh. I was looking forward to hearing from Tyler and Kayla this morning. When Tyler and Kayla first came to Reliance Falls, oh, this is okay, Tyler, I didn't ask him, but he won't beat me down, right? Although he might, he's a rugby player. Kim and Adam anticipated that one day they might start dating. And we were serving, me and Tyler, out at Creation Fest. And we were serving at the prayer ministry at that, at that event. And I approached you, and I said, so, what's up with Kayla? <laughs> and I said, what's your intentions with her? No, I'm not Kayla's dad. But what would motivate people to do that within the church? She's our sister. She has served us. She loves us. You better date her in a way. And I don't remember his response. Good job. I'm going to paraphrase your response. But your response was, whatever the Lord desire for her. Good man. Good man. Which I extend like, to you women here who are single, you got a whole bunch of brothers here. And sisters, you gotta, we are thankful for your service and your ministry to us. Over the years that I have been able to serve, even here at New Life in Dallas or in Arlington, Texas, is even here. I mean, there's 10 women Phoebe, Prisca, Mary, Tryphena in verse 12, and Tryphosa. Like, Tryphena and Tryphosa, their names mean like, lux, like luxurious, like live. Uh, Simple, luxurious lives. 
And it's to them that Paul says, these ladies are hard workers. What's so thrilling, what I, I love looking through this section, was just, uh, yeah, the men get called fellow workers. They get called kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They get called my beloved. But only to the women does Paul say, hard worker. Like, throughout church history, and even here in our own experience here at Reliance Fellowship, it has been nothing less than phenomenal what I have seen God's women do for His church. Well, we brought one of them last week. Mere ministry. With a heart and a passion to reach those who are stuck in sex, sexual slavery. Who runs those ministries? Women, young lives. It's hard for a man to serve in that way and praise God that there are women within even this church that do so. You medical. There are ministries that exist within this, with this community that are being carried on the backbones of women. And it's cool. And Paul, in a season of life, which I don't know entirely culturally what was, because uh, I didn't live then, but I know that at times women were demeaned, but here Paul says, I commend to you, my sister. And he does even more than that. He puts before them her rank. It's cool. Verse 16, or chapter 16, verse 1. I commend to you our sister who is a servant. Some of your translations might read deacon. She actually has uh, a leadership role at her church in Centria. Like, I, I step back only to say this. Like when we have uh, someone come with a non-profit ministry to our church and we set them before you, uh, to see what they're doing. Like, remember that they're not at their home church. Right? Their leadership is being, so to speak, they're gone and they're here with us, encouraging us. And Paul reminds them, your sister, my sister, Phoebe, is coming to you, who's a deacon at the church of Centria. There's going to be a little bit of a hole in her. Like, they didn't have airplanes. She's got to get on a ship. So there'll be a hole within that church for that period of time. What a great reminder. Um, our kids' ministry, um, hospitality, so much has been done through the care and the faithfulness of women. And Paul acknowledges it. That we ought to remember that service. Um, verse 3 is fun. Like, you... you Greet Prisca and Aquila. You, you would know her in the book of Acts as Priscilla. Luke calls her Priscilla. Paul calls her Prisca. It's probably a nickname for him. Very dear, maybe. I made that up. I don't know if that's true. Um, uh, but Prisca. Um, Prisca is cool because like, uh, she carried a role of even correcting the pastors, the leaders who were teaching in the church. Remember with me, Acts chapter 18. Like, she corrects someone who's doing what I'm doing. 
Now a Jew named Apollos, Apollos, excuse me, in Alexandria by birth, this is chapter 18, verse 24, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus and he was mighty in the scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, had the passion, right? The desire. He was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Christ, being equated only, though, with the baptism of John. Not familiar with the baptism in response to Christ Jesus. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogues, but Priscilla and Aquila took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Her role within the churches was to even edify the leadership of the church who preached and taught. That's cool. Like, even in my own life, whether it been at New Life or even here, you know who you are. You have gently even rebuked me, which I continue to offer encouragement to do so because it's been out of care and love. I can acknowledge it, but Adam would say this too. We are not the men that we are without our wives. Many sermons have been saved because of my wife. Don't say that. And the sermon or the time in which we get to study together is not just my thinking, it's our thinking, which includes you as women as well. And Paul acknowledges this. And through these women's sacrifice, and we can still testify that this still occurs today. That many things that occur for the good and the glory of God are being carried upon the hard work of our sisters. So brothers, let us not hinder them from doing any less. Let us not become those who... Uh, challenge them or make it hard for them for they do many good things two it's not just women that he affirms men you're thrown in here too we are i mean paul acknowledges aquila ampliatus rabana sapelles herodion all these men rufus what a cool name well i don't know i'm still toss um back and forth what you name your son that, and then I'll, I'll see how it works. Um, but in this list, you'll see a whole bunch of names that, like, he goes to great lengths even to acknowledge the slave, right? Um, and I would encourage you, Adam talked about this, the role of a slave, just several months ago, to go back and listen to what that is. But the slave had a high reputation within the church, and Paul counts not only the social rank, but the resources as fellow works of God, but also those who were in the position of slave. Why? Because the foundation for our relationship is not our resources, but Christ. And that's where we find our common bond. And not even on our ethnicity. And you have Jews and Gentiles Loving one another and serving one another. That he prompts and he pushes, I think, something that we have to strive very hard to live up to. Because he says something in verse 16 that each of us would be like, what? But look at this, verse 16. Greet one another with a holy kiss. 
oh, we recognize <laughs> that, that there is supposed to be an endearment that we have towards one another. Now, we, we recognize this is a cultural issue. But they're also within this recognizing that there was a, there was a closeness, a willingness to know one another. And this, this is, you're like, well, this is just one occasion. 1 Corinthians 16, 20. All the brethren greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. 2 Corinthians 13, 12. Greet one another with a holy kiss. 1 Thessalonians 5, 26. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. 1 Peter 5, 14. Well, Peter believes it too. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Or greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. The point. That you love one another and you show that. The, the, the idea is, is the modern day handshake is somewhere close to that. Maybe even the hug. When I was in the South, it didn't matter. Everybody gets a hug. Then I come up here to the Pacific Northwest and I'm like, whoa. But there's a closeness that we have to have towards one another. Why? Because we're a family. Paul affirms the work of God in the woman, the man, the Jew, the Gentile, the slave, and the rich. And the means for their foundation of fellowship was in Christ Jesus, who made it possible. Let's, let's think about our convictional response. These are people. Phoebe, Prisca, Aquila, should I go through the whole list again? No. The gospel saves us from the judgment of God. He loves you. And I don't know what name you are, or what name, oh, I do know a lot of your names, but God knows you by name. And he desires a relationship with you. Um, it's been a really good time. I, I could say that over the last eight years. I have been encouraged to be able to walk through this with you over the last 16, 17 months. My hope, my hope is, is that there is something that's so repeated in here is that we would not let up on. Paul says, fellow workers, he says they worked hard. There is a temptation, and we the elders voted on this, so like we decided no more wall building for at least a year. We're tired. Um, you get into a space like this, and I think one of the temptations that you can have as a church is we've made it. No. There's a time for rest. Right? We did these things for, for the people. But the point is, is that the ministry of the gospel isn't cruise control. Like That's not the, the pace at which Paul sets out before us, or at least the workers he he goes through to mention by name. He acknowledges their hard work and their sacrifice. So there are indeed periods of time where we ought to rest, but don't let it be 20 years, right? I think that's one of the things that you guys recognize. That there are many of you who serve in this community. And some of you have chose to do like fostering. That's hard work. And you need a break. Some of you have chosen to love this city through refugees. That's hard work. 
Some of you have decided to young lives or recovery. It costs you your time. It costs you your money. It costs you your emotional well-being. Trust me. Some of you have loved or chosen to love each other specifically, uniquely here, small group leaders. It's hard work. It requires your time. It can, emotional pouring out into the people within your group. And it's worth it. You recognize that in the city and you recognize that towards each other. Our kids' leaders. I need to make sure that I end on time because I know what it's like to be stuck with a four-year-old for an hour. Well, Amor is worth it. But you know that my point, it's hard work. And I pray that we as a people that will be known as we look and see how God uses us as a people that we might be known for just that. Workers and hard at it. Trying to honor the Lord which unites us together. Serving one another faithfully, caring for one another faithfully, encouraging one another. That would be my prayer for us. To take the theology that we have learned and then recognize that we get to take that theology and now extend it to one another in the city around us. Because it's about people. Two. And this is the hard one, Reliance. Paul knew them by name. Yeah, when we first started off, remember this, Adam? It was a moment of conflict. <laughs> but we, we were growing and I come out to the foyer and then Adam was putting name tags out in the foyer. And I said, what are those? They're name tags. We've got people we need to know their names. And I, like, Adam was right. I was wrong. I said, put the name tags away. My point would be, I don't want name tags. I want people to know their names. Adam, Adam was saying, no, we got to at least introduce ourselves. Reliance, like, we can't know everybody intimately. I know that. Bare minimum, learn each other's names. Greet one another, not with a kiss, but embrace one another. The first step to doing that is going to have to be by knowing one another's names. And reliance, be gracious, because they'll ask you six, seven, eight, nine, ten times. And you'll forget, and you'll forget. We ought to be a people that are so joyful. My name is, remind each other, because that is something that we cherish. Look at this name. I would imagine that the majority of the people here don't have a name called Andronicus. Right? Maybe we should start naming him. We might remember each other. We had a friend in seminary. It was, his name was, oh man, I'm going to mess his name. It was Chung Pong Nong. We call him Daniel. <laughs> Americans are odd. We don't want to learn each other's names. And another, it's, but we can know each other's names. And we should strive for that and be gracious towards one another to tell each other our names. Because it's about the foundation by which we get to know one another and call upon each other and pray for one another. So give me grace as I repeatedly ask for your name. And that's why we do ask you to fill out that connection card. Because we do I talked to the connection team. What was their name? Because I want to know you. And I would pray that that's not just our desire or the elder's desire, but that would be your desire. That we know. Paul knew them by name. That's cool. So there's a potluck next week. 
And there, I know how you cook. It's good. But when we eat together, one of the aims ought to be is to know each other, get to know each other and know each other by name. Strive to meet someone you don't know and see how they are working for Christ in the unique position that God has established them. It is super, super cool. Three. Okay, so the first part, what do you do at the end of the letter of Romans? You take the theology and you implement it into your life by serving one another and serving the city around you, knowing that God saves people. Two, Paul knew them and he called them by name. We ought to be a church that knows one another by name. Three, look how he lifts them up. He just praises them. And he he is not afraid to associate them and call them my beloved, my fellow worker, my fellow prisoner, my kinsman. He, He, when you get to Rufus, a choice man. I don't know. For all church history, Rufus has been known as unique, Phoebe. I think, let us be faithful to do that to one another. To say to one another and speak well of one another. And to lift up what God has allowed them to do. And that, I think, would be a good thing for us as a church too steadily and regularly pursue in each of our fellowship. Um, It's been eight years. We've been at this for 16, 17 months. It was about year three when we had a small leadership meeting and I said something along the lines, in two years we're going to look a lot different. And we do, five years later. We're going to look a lot different in another two years. But let us be a people that recognize the unique reason why we fellowship together. It is Jesus Christ. And let us be a people that recognize and know one another. Whether it be a handshake or a hug, you can create that boundary however you want. But finally, let us be a people that are willing to encourage one another and acknowledge the unique gifting that God has placed in their lives. And it's through that, as Jesus taught his disciples, the world will know your love for me by the way that you love one another. And that is one of the greatest opportunities of evangelism we have to offer this city. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we recognize that we entered this world as sinners, delighted in rebelling against you. But Lord, you have been gracious towards us, even that while we were sinners, you sent your one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. And by faith, we entrust that he has paid our debt. And we recognize in the diversity that it even exists in this room, the one thing that unites and binds us together is Jesus Christ. Let us not become a people that sway from that common bond. Let us be a church that pursue one another and know one another by name and always encouraging one another when given opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and worship.